Hi, Billy. Oh, no, I'm just... It says live on YouTube. Oh, here we go. See, and I don't, again, like I said last time, I don't get to see that. Until <laughs> I... And then make sure that it's all working. This is where you need two screens, Pete. Yeah, I know. Again, we're not that professional. I don't think you could balance it all on your lap. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't all fit. Cool. So we're live, and um, you're going to have to correct my pronunciation if I get it wrong. It's Kristen DeBrucker. Is that right? That is correct. Okay, perfect. Um, Black Belt Under Mask Sound, that was like two years ago now? Uh, almost three. Almost, almost three. three. Okay. Yeah. Um, but also lots of other... We were just talking about it off camera um, or off, off live that you do lots of other things like your MMA, your Muay Thai, um, Filipino martial arts and stuff like that, that you've been involved with as well. So I'm sure we'll dig into that. Um, and you've just, again, as we were talking about, just gone down to Gracie Charlottesville. Yes, in Thank Virginia. Thank you very much for jumping Thank on. You. My yeah. pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. It's good to have you on. So, we, yeah, we were, we were trying to uh, save the good stuff, but we were kind of halfway through chatting anyway, so... Um, oh, and we've got people on the live as well already. So that's good. Yay. Happy days. Yay. Yay. So you were... Uh, two of them. Two of them. Yeah, well, I don't know. There you go. <laughs> so you were... We'll get on to the kids stuff because we're excited about that as well because I, like we were saying, you were saying it's unusual that people really, really like teaching the kids. But actually, uh, I'm sure Bill does as well. I'll second it that I love teaching the kids classes. So, yeah. yeah, we'll definitely dive into that. But you were under sort of master the whole time. Where did you start? Like, what was your start with jiu-jitsu? How did you, what was your whole thing with that? Um, so when I was 16, I uh, did Taekwondo. Like, uh, I started doing martial arts. I was like nine. And I did Taekwondo first, like every other kid in the United States, you know, wanted to be a Power Ranger, uh, uh, like, you know, all that good stuff. And um, Tommy, the Green Ranger specifically, he's the coolest. Um but, uh, and so after that, I, there's a Helsin blue belt that would come into my gym like once a week. And I'd be like, what's that? And then like, why are we on the ground? That's crazy. Like, and he's like, you should watch UFC, like the original UFC, like UFC one, two, and three. And so I watched it. I'm like, what is this? Like, it's like paying to watch a murder. <laughs> um, and, uh, and that's when I first got a taste of it. And then I had graduated high school and then went to college uh, gained a bunch of weight, started partying all the time, all bad decisions. I wasn't trained martial arts anymore. And then I kid you not, I just happened to find a Pedro Sauer affiliate in Roanoke, Virginia, like five miles from my university. Like uh, Dennis Hayes in Roanoke, Virginia. He, um, he's now like a three-stripe black belt under Master Sauer, but he, I got my start doing Muay Thai and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu with him. And then when I graduated college, uh, after just being with him for like a year, I met Master Sauer in 2007. I was 22 years old. I just graduated college and I never left. I just happened to be there for the, the full 13 years that I was there with him. So I got every stripe and every belt underneath master's hour. Yeah, I've been cool. very, very lucky. You'd think I'd be better. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, it's nice to, you know, I was terrified of him when I first met him. I was like, oh my gosh, master's hour. I'm like freaking out. And of course he's like the nicest person alive. And so I was like, he's all my friend, I mean, it's okay. I was like, I was like, oh, thank you. That makes me feel a lot better. So it's been really a, a treat to be with him. I started in like a small garage, then like another gym in Sterling, and then an even bigger facility in Herndon, Virginia. So I remember being like in this tiny little garage where there's like no heat, no AC, where literally it gets so hot in there that the sweat 
like it, it would like condense in the ceiling and then like drop back on top of you. <laughs> it was really gross. For real. Really gross. <laughs> um, uh, and so I remember like in Master Sai, I used to split up the weight classes and okay, everyone over 200 pounds and everyone under 200 pounds, you know, go to this side. And I'm like, oh, and this guy's like over there. I'm like, dude, what are you weighing? He's like, oh, I'm like 195. And I'm like, get a scale. <laughs> Prove it. <laughs> like, I'm so mad about that but I mean it so that's just how I started and I just never quit because even though it was very very challenging for me and there weren't a lot of women at the time obviously I think I was the only one in the gym for a long time I just figured you know if I just didn't quit maybe eventually I would get okay at it you know I, I never thought I would make it a black belt but I'm very happy I did <laughs> do you think that helped you a lot doing the like being there being the smaller person obviously we talked to you know, a lot of people that are, were the smaller person in the room, how much do you think that made a difference in back in those days? I think what it helped me with is that I had to learn jujitsu correctly, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. you know, I had to learn the way Master Sauer intended or Elio Gracie intended to learn jujitsu is survive first, then escape, then reverse position, then counterattack. Like, versus if I had been the hammer the whole time, you know, and I just like hammered away at people constantly, that would obviously be a lot more challenging, I think, because if you're used to winning all the time, and then you start losing at higher rank, that would be harder to learn. So I mean, I got my ass kicked a lot. I'll be completely frank, like I would get tapped like 30, 40 times a night. And then the next day, I'd be like, okay, today, I'm gonna get tapped 29. <laughs> like, like little, little victories. Um, and it would be hard, because people were a lot rougher back then. Like, I remember when you'd like run into a purple belt, you'd be like, Oh, my God, I would get like cross collar choked across my eye sockets. Like I would get like handprint bruises all over my arms and legs. I, um, all my major injuries came from jujitsu, not Muay Thai, surprisingly. Like I broke, the first time I broke my nose was in jujitsu. My first concussion was in jujitsu. <laughs> my broken ribs are from jujitsu. Everything's from jujitsu. None of it's from Muay Thai, surprisingly. Um, so in, because of that though, even though that was like the uphill kind of road, I think it really did force me to learn jujitsu correctly but also I think it made me a better teacher. The biggest thing is because now all I can focus on is like, okay, these are the key details that make the moves work for me. Cause if I don't do them, they don't work. Mm. Like I can't like, cause rush through the technique in order to like kind of make it successful in a role. I have to do moves perfectly for them to work on a larger, stronger opponent almost always, even now. You know, and I'm not petite for a woman, but I'm not big for a person. Like, you know, some of my training partners that at Gracie Charlottesville are like 250. So like, yes, they're not petite. They're not small guys. Um, so I think it did help me in the long run. It wasn't fun at the time, but in hindsight, I'm happy I did learn that way. So to answer your question. Did you, do you think, uh, Kristen, that the, the, the martial arts you did before jujitsu, um, gave you the I don't know like the a grounding so that you weren't so worried about the, the close contact and, and the physicality of jiu-jitsu oh yeah for sure I mean like I mean also I was kind of raised in a different type of household like my mom was an athlete like she played tennis and like softball and she was really into sports and then my dad I was like never daddy's little girl I was more like daddy's little power lifter um my dad to this day will be like so so what are you pulling these days for your deadlift like he asked me still to this day it's hilarious um my dad is the one who introduced me to martial arts and I have two younger brothers. So I just kind of grew up in a very like sport heavy culture family. 
And then yes, but like I did start doing martial arts when I was so young that I guess I just didn't feel fear of that close contact. Like that didn't, never freaked me out. But I'm also really fortunate as a woman that I never had like a previous experience that brought me to martial arts. Because yeah. a lot of other women, you know, get into jujitsu and self-defense because they've already been priorly like attacked. Yeah. That did not happen to me to bring me to that. So I didn't bring a lot of that trauma with me because I had experienced martial arts as a kid. I just loved it so much. And I just kind of carried it through to everything else that I do. Um, obviously it was very challenging though to go from Taekwondo to Jiu Jitsu because those are very different versus Taekwondo to Muay Thai. I was like, oh, this is cool. Like I get to hold them and hit them too. Like that, that wasn't so bad. But Jiu Jitsu, I'm like, why are we horizontal? <laughs> we should be vertical. This is ridiculous. Um, so, but I think, yeah, for me having that culture of, and my parents being so supportive saying, oh, you can do this. You know, my mom has never been the type of woman to be like, no, you can't do that. That's what, that's not what girls do. She's like, no, go do it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I, I had a very encouraging family too, which really helps with wanting to do this for a living, especially. Yeah. yeah. And when you started out, you said that you were one of the only girls or the only girl? Um, There would be women in the gym, like at Master Sours, like, you know, from time to time. Mm -hmm. but not ones that stuck with it. So if you think about it, how many people make the black belt in general? Yeah, not many. Yeah, and then you think about, yeah, exactly. We should say, we should say that, like not many people make the black belt. And then how many of those are women? Mm -hmm. Like when you think about it, like just how many women are in the gym and then how many people make the black belt? So it's a percentage of a percentage. Mm -hmm. And so, and so like when I was there, I did never had a female training partner really, like someone I could work with. Like when I got ready for all my MMA fights, all my training partners were smaller guys. Yeah. Um, who are usually always stronger than me anyway, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but so I never really had a female training partner. So, because there just wasn't a lot of women who did it. And I, I think it's because I think a lot of women don't realize they can, that they don't understand that leverage knows no gender. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like leverage isn't like gender specific. It's like, you know, my leverage is different than your leverage. Oh, and so, <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I mean, and, and so I think when people, realize that when women see me on the mat now and i i don't run actually a women's uh class i i run the co-ed classes mm. and i think having a a, co a woman run a co-ed class for men and for women and women see and the men see a woman in a leadership role it changes kind of the culture of the gym yeah. of how they people perceive women in the art and also how women see themselves and so like the men in my gym are they treat me so respectfully it's so much respect versus when i started it wasn't that way when i was a white belt blue belt like i've been slammed like i've, I've had i could not tell you guys how many times someone has said to me i can't tap to a woman and not even in a joking way like like not even in like a like oh uh, yeah you know like in a legit where like i've had to almost break someone's arm to tap like i used to be like a bully on the mat when I was a purple belt, I was a, I was an asshole. I'm not going to be completely afraid, but you know, but now it's gotten so much better because I think jujitsu has, um, is a little more universal now. Like people know about it versus before, like you almost had to prove that it worked and like, no one would listen to you unless you could kick their ass back then. Now people still listen to you as a coach, even if you are not like smoking them on the mat, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and so it's a little bit easier now. 
But I, I think back then, though, was a woman, it was tough. So, like, I remember Master Sauer telling a speech when I got my black belt. And he's like, oh, I remember when she started. And I was just thinking, she's so nice. I wonder when she's going to quit. I was like, <laughs> I was like, thank you, sir. <laughs> like, I, I do love it when your stories go a little bit sideways. <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I mean, <laughs> I was like, when I, like, I was like, so I was like, you thought I was going to quit. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't, but I mean, cause I'm stubborn, but man, that happened. Like, because it's true. Like, I mean, it was a rough time. Like one of my mold training partners, he's like, Chris, and you should get a special stripe on your black belt for everything you dealt with. <laughs> I was like, eh. it is what it is. I mean, I'm happy. It's not that way anymore. Cause I don't think anyone should have to go through the things that I went through to get where I'm at. But someone pointed out to me, it's like, Chris, it's pretty awesome that you're willing to endure suffering to get knowledge. But that's kind of what we're all doing in jiu-jitsu is we're enduring our ego suffering constantly to gain the knowledge to get better. What do you think are some of the things that have, you're saying like, it's not like it's changed a bit now. And like, what do you think are the main things that have changed to make it a bit easier for women treading that path now? Um, I think just having more women in the sport in general, yeah, you know, I think that that's the biggest that. thing. Yeah. I mean, just, just in general, there's so many more female black belts now. Um, the fact that even there's like a bigger platform for female competitors um, in jujitsu, I think a big thing that's changed and this may be, I don't know if jujitsu people acknowledge this, but I think women in MMA, yeah. the women's MMA in the UFC, like Ronda Rousey being like such a big name that she was and women's MMA being very popular nowadays, especially like the flyweight division at 115 is a super exciting division to watch. And it's super competitive. The champions are so good now. And seeing that in mainstream media, I think has made it better for all female athletes, not just, you know, not just jujitsu practitioners. Um, because now people are looking at these women, not just for what they look like or anything else. They're looking at what they could do. Because yeah. you can see when you want to see two 115ers fight each other, it's really competitive. Yeah. You know? And so I think, especially here in the United States, like no one watches really the, the WNBA or like some of the, like the women's versions of the male sports, like a lot of people don't watch them, even though they're technically better players because there's that feats of athleticism. But now, because I think martial artists appreciate just good technique in general. And so when you see two women fighting a very competitive fight, in a very technical way, everyone's like, oh, this is actually really good. Like you start to see women in a different light as complete, you know, martial artists and not just something nice to look at. So that's always, <laughs> so I think that that's a big cultural shift as far as in the culture of jujitsu itself. I think it's just more accessible to more people. There's so many more gyms now and there's so many more black belts and so many better teachers that are more empathetic to the female experience than prior, you know, teachers, even if they're like, I was really lucky to have master Sowers, my instructor who has like five daughters. Yeah. And so that made it really easy for me because I felt like I could go to him and be like, and he would understand if I had a rough day, he could see if I got like emotional on the mat, mm -hmm. like, cause I was getting mad at myself. He knew, he knew how to recognize that because he was empathetic to my personal experience. And I think as male instructors, the more that male instructors can be empathetic to the female experience, I think it's going to continue to grow. And as more women get on the mat, 
and are in leadership roles, it's going to kind of trickle down as long as the women aren't competitive with each other. Cause that's the way it also used to be. There'd just be like one woman at every gym and then you guys would just go at it. Now I try not to do that. I'm like, what's well, all, we're all in this together. Let's all train together. <laughs> so that was I think- one of my questions actually, Christine. Like, so back in the day when you started and there wasn't so many you know, women uh, taking part in class, when they did come along, would it be highly competitive between you know you and the, and the other other females, or, or 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 not? You know, was there that that same ego that exists? You know, between you know, between others that are, you know, yeah. Well, if I'm going to be honest with myself, especially my 22, 23 year old self, because I'm 35 now, when I was 22, I was a bit of a meathead. I once was told by my coach, my one of my first Muay Thai coaches that I went too hard. And I was like, me, but I'm a woman. I can't go too hard. <laughs> like, um, so I was a bit of a meathead when I first started as a white belt, blue belt, being competitive in a very competitive sport oriented family. But I think all of us are, I don't think that's unique even to women, but I think that's definitely unique to, that's just white, when you're a white belt, blue belt, you're just like, what's, let's go for blood. Like Kumite, fight to the death, let's go. Like we're ready to go. But <laughs> At, um, but you know when you get a little higher ranking and you get a little more senior and you start to realize that that doesn't matter and that your job as an upper ranking belt is to cultivate a good culture and to help everybody underneath you not smash everybody underneath you and I think um, having not just Master Sour but all these great black belts that come and visit HQ headquarters to come through and kind of give me a different perspective really helped Um, But I will tell you that there's another female black belt that's at headquarters. Her name is Kathy Ortiz and she's older than me and she's fantastic. And I think meeting her really kind of changed the way I looked at things because she came to jujitsu at a completely different age and time in her life, like in her forties versus I started like my first jujitsu class, I was 16, you know? And so her coming into at her forties and the way she would grab a woman as soon as she goes, Hey, how are you doing? My name's Kathy. How's it going? Like the way I would see her interact with women kind of changed the way I started to. And I met her, I think when we were both purple belts. And um, and then she started training at my gym as well. And we just came from very different experiences. And she's the one who encouraged me to start teaching more adult classes and stuff like that. And so having other women have this camaraderie on the mat, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, that's the way I should act. Cause she was definitely more mature than me. <laughs> like, and so she was kind of like a mentor to me on like how I need to act to cultivate women in that culture together like we're in this together we're not against each other even as people competitors like we're we're in this together because we're just trying to get even more women in the brackets you know so i think it's it's definitely but before when i was away oh i was awful i was so competitive i was mostly competitive with myself because i felt like this obligation to perform well for the guys at my gym because they would always say oh kristen you're the toughest girl we know and i'm like oh now i have to win <laughs> you know so I, I think it's definitely, but like I said, it was very competitive before, but it's so much better now. Like I'm ecstatic with the way things are going now. <laughs> I don't have to fight as hard too. It's great. Yeah. It's, it's what you were saying about the MMA is interesting. And in I think there's with the women's divisions, it's a bit of a jump backwards, but I, when I watch it, like you're saying about the competitive nature of it, I feel like they're, they're doing what, the men have stopped doing which is they're putting it all on the line to win at all mm-hmm. costs. and again like you say very very technical and actually like you say you get way better fights and matchups because they're still fighting to win not fighting to just keep their contract kind of thing 
it almost yeah. feels like there's a bit more on the line for them so mm-hmm. they're they're fighting a little bit more yeah to to still prove themselves in the division and in the sport and things like that and that's you get way better contests than you do sometimes with the guys now Oh yeah, for sure. I think because women are fighting the way men used to fight. Remember, because UFC was to fight for respect to be treated like a real sport, and yeah. that's what women are still doing. They're still fighting to like, hey, we deserve to be here. You know, well, I mean, what is that? That Johanna John Jacek and Zhang was one of the best fights I've ever seen. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah well, that was like right before the lockdown, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. I mean, UFC's been killing it though, man. UFC's been killing it during this lockdown, man. Yeah. I mean, I get to watch fights every weekend now. I'm not complaining. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not like, yeah, I would keep doing it. Like, um, but yeah, I, you're a hundred percent right. I think, yeah, the women are putting it all out there and that's why they're just so fun to watch. Even in women's jujitsu, like you especially watch some of those lighter female jujitsu matches, man, they're just going for it. Yeah. And I love that. I love it. The scrambles are great. Um, but you know, because you kind of have to prove that you want him, that you deserve to be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's been some. So, how much? How much? You said you were getting ready for worlds. Yes, it's my first time competing in three years. Um, so I didn't have health insurance for about eight years when I was teaching before, and I have health insurance now at my new job, and I'm very excited about it. Uh, so I used to fight MMA and uh, Muay Thai and compete in jiu-jitsu. So I used to do all of that. And then I started doing less and less of that when I started taking on more responsibility with the kids program. Um, Cause that was kind of my passion. And I would coach a lot of kids. I probably couldn't tell you how many kids jiu-jitsu matches I've coached in 10 years. It's probably like a thousand. It's so many. And um, so I moved away from that for a couple of reasons. One didn't have health insurance Two, uh, I have a very bad relationship with weight cutting and the scale. I have a, I started to develop actually uh, an eating disorder uh, when I was fighting MMA and uh, started to develop some really bad relationships with my body, with food. And I started stop competing because uh, I would just start, if I wasn't lighter, I would have like a mental breakdown. And I'm like, this isn't healthy. I should stop. Like, and so uh, for myself, which, and a lot, and this is the dark side of fighting that a lot of people don't talk about. And especially with women um, it's, it's one of those things that like, that's why I like watching a lot of the, um, the 145ers and 135ers, like bigger athletes, because I think men inherently think women lay way less, even if you're the same height. All right. yeah. They're like, oh, but you, your bones aren't as dense, right? They're like hollow, like a bird, right? You just weigh less. <laughs> um, but uh, so I just stopped. So I decided from my friend, Sean Kennedy, who works at Gracie Charlotte. So and he's a former Pan Am champion, Masters Pan Am champion. And he told me, he's like, well, just compete for fun. And I was like, you can do that? <laughs> you have permission. I'm, st- I'm still trying to understand that. You can do, you can do that? Compete for fun. No. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, yeah, it's just jujitsu, Kristen. I was like, oh, you're right. <laughs> he's like, it's just jujitsu. He's like, I think you can win it anyway, class. I was like, huh. And so I decided um, on a whim got approved my IBJJF paperwork uh, got approved and he's like well why don't you just weigh what you weigh and don't worry about the weight classes and just go in there and just have a good time and I was like that makes sense <laughs> just like and so um so I'm gonna do master's worlds this year it's my first time competing like I said last time I competed it's a brown belt for in the Hickson cup in Albany New York that was the last time I did a jiu-jitsu tournament and so that was the last tournament I did before I got my black belt 
And uh, so I think it'd just be nice as a woman just to compete and roll against other female black belts. Like just that would be amazing for me to like, to feel what a high level woman feels like rolling. Cause the last time I rolled with a female black belt was when I was a purple belt. I think I rolled with Michelle Nicolini. Okay. Yeah. That was like the last time. So it's been a long time since I've rolled with a female black belt just to kind of feel what that feels like. Cause I'll, almost all my training partners are men. So it, I think I'm doing it more for the experience and, and mostly just for my mental health of overcoming getting on a scale again and just being okay with being home in my body and what I weigh and all that other stuff versus be like, no, I need to weigh like just starving myself and like getting in a sauna and all that, you know, all the other BS that goes in with fighting. Yeah. So how I'm much excited. You, um, how much weight would you try and cut before? Um, I fought at three different weight classes. So I fought at my natural weight, which is 160. 145, which I feel, I feel pretty good about making that weight. Like that's not too, too hard, especially if I diet down in camp. And then, um, I've also fought as low as 135. Um, I've gone from 153 to 138 in a day. Um, I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, it's like controlled dying. Yeah. But I mean, but I didn't, but this is like such a long time ago. This is when I was like a blue belt, purple belt. And like, no one knew anything about cutting weight. No one knew anything about cutting weight for women because my, my weight could fluctuate depending on what time of the month it is. Things that people don't talk about, um, like five to 10 pounds, you know? So little things like that, like, um, are like the subtle differences. Like I, there's a woman at my gym now, her name's Emily. She's a white belt, but she also has been doing Muay Thai for a year and she wants to do a smoker. She's six one. And they're, they're having, she's six one. And she's like, I'm trying to diet down so they can find people for me. I'm like, well, what do you weigh? She's like 170. I'm like, you're supposed to weigh 170. You're six one. <laughs> but, um, so I'm just trying to like build the culture also of like not trying to push people who are not supposed to be in certain weight classes into certain weight classes. Like, what is it? Jessica Andrade just went up to 125. Yeah. Yeah. From 115. She looks so much stronger. Yeah. She looks so much stronger and she just like smashed the last girl she fought. And I think she's like five one. But when are the worlds, Kristen? When, when, <laughs> when, are, when is the competition that you're going into? Oh, when is the worlds? Um, worlds is December 7th. Uh, I think I'm supposed to go December 17th and 18th is Masters 1 because mm -hmm. I'm 35. I'm still young, according to that. Um, maybe. <laughs> well, younger than all of us. Yeah, I was going to say, you got time on us. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Oh, I, I don't feel it sometimes. It's not the years, it's the miles. Um, but uh, it's interesting to hear what you think after, you know, competing just at your natural weight to see whether or not it was worth all of that effort in the past to, to lose the weight. I'm guessing now you'd say that it probably wasn't, but, you know, it'd be great to hear, hear after what you, what you think. Yeah, well, I mean, I always competed close to my natural weight in, in jiu-jitsu, but, like, for fighting, like, for MMA, I think there's just this inherent pressure I think on fighters in general not just women mm -hmm. to be the strongest biggest person at your weight class and because everyone else is cutting weight I think everyone feels like they have to everyone's, yeah. everyone's doing it and you have to do it more than the other person exactly and it's not an eating disorder because it's for competition yeah. you've got a reason <laughs> yeah <laughs> or it's not it's not an eating disorder if you're a man <laughs> you know yeah yeah, I, I run into wrestlers all the time. I know a lot of wrestlers because of um, 
because that we have UVA at our, at our gym, but also like a lot of my kids are uh, now wrestle. They went, they did jujitsu first. And now that they're in high school, they're all wrestling. And I was very adamant telling the parents be like, do not push cutting weight with your kids. Like you do not want to give your kids eating disorders at like 16, like boys or girls, because like, I knew, I knew kids who like spit into a cup, you know, before competition. I was like, uh, it can't be healthy. Like, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but it can't be. Um, Just Just a guess. Well, now, especially at the moment as well, obviously a little bit more locked down here, but the amount of problems that kids are going to be getting anyway right now with mental health issues, that the last thing you want them doing is is then something else on top of that. So on top of the pressure that they're all picking up on from the way society is and everything at the moment and with the COVID stuff, the last thing you want them doing is having that added pressure that is then, then tipping the scales. I mean, we're seeing over here a rise in teenage things like anorexia bulimia etc because of the whole covid lockdown situation spending all their time online not really interacting with people properly anymore exacerbating all these problems um and yeah to add weight cut into that would just be it's it's rough it's rough because like it's it's because everyone's so inundated with social media now especially now with the lockdown and remembrance online, like you said, you, you, it's like, you've lost your grasp of reality with like what a, what a human person is and looks like, you know what I mean? Yes. And I can't even imagine being a teenager now. Like I would never, I would never want to be a teenager. now. (laughs) I don't know about you guys. It was the first time around. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I would hate it now. I would hate it now with social media and the way people are like, that's why as a, as a kids jujitsu instructor and as a, you know, I've, I've gotten the pleasure of te- of seeing a lot of my kids grow up into teenagers. And like the, my number one goal is to always be a happy place for those teenagers, because like, especially where I was before, but at HQ, it was about an hour outside of DC. And I jokingly always say that's where overachievers go to feel bad about themselves. <laughs> like it is so competitive with the kids with education sports extracurricular activities like everything is competitive it's all about getting into a great college so you can have a great career like that's all it's about and so these kids have so much pressure on them already that I didn't want to as a jiu-jitsu instructor put additional pressure on them so I used to tell kid every kid before competition the wins are yours the losses are mine that's what I would tell them because I was like because the last thing I need to do is put more additional pressure on these kids who are already worried about, am I going to have a 4.0 GPA so I can get into a good university? Like they already have all that and they have their parents like putting pressure on them too. And then they have societal pressure, social media, friends, whatever else. Like the last thing I need to do is make jujitsu stressful. Like I want jujitsu to be a happy place for a child to grow up, you know, and, and to find themselves on like using jujitsu as a vehicle to become a better person or a better version of yourself that's what I think it's for. Um, so I, I can't, whew, I'm really happy that I found this now, like later in life past teenagers. Cause I would, Oh God, I'd hate to be not now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Must be I, I can understand, you know, DC being a hotbed for, you know, like you said, was it, that's where the high achievers go to feel bad about themselves. That's, I think yeah. that's but do you not think that that's like spreading out around, you know, other parts of the world? And it's just kind of, you know, children, unfortunately, are like a, a competition. Parents treat their kids like a competition. It's like, just let them be kids. 
yeah I mean it's almost like the kids it's like it's it's like parental narcissism it's like the kids are a reflection of you somehow when your job I think as a parent just like as a coach is my job is not to make like they're not a reflection of me my job is to make them a better adult like eventually is being a positive influence on their life so they're a better adult not like the best kid in the world you know like I I think I talked to Rylan Lazarus about this and he said I make adult world champions I don't make kid world champions and I was like, that makes sense because like kids, I'm trying to use jujitsu to make them a better person and to teach them self-defense, to get fitness, to get confidence, to learn discipline, to learn respect, yeah. not to make them like a Pan Am champion per se, unless that's something they really, really want. And even then I wouldn't push it unless they were a teenager, yeah. you know, like I, I would rather the kids be kids, like you said, and not like compete with each other. I've seen that in even kids jujitsu tournaments, like people are like coaches and parents yelling at each other. I'm like, they're children. <laughs> Calm down. He's eight. <laughs> like, so how long have you been teaching the children then, Kristen? Um, I started teaching kids jujitsu uh, in June of 2009 at Pedro Sauer's headquarters. My first student ever was named Nicholas Ta. He was four and a half. And someone told me I could not teach him because he was too little. And I said, watch me. Um, he still trains. He still trains, by the way. He's 15 now. Um, he wrestles. Um, he's this tiny little Vietnamese boy, but now he's like, you know, a tiny Vietnamese teenager. Um, <laughs> um, so I started there and I had no idea what I was doing. I was like a two-stripe blue belt. Master says, oh, you should teach the kids. And I'm like, okay. And, um, and so a lot of it was like trial by error because I taught Taekwondo to kids before, but it's so different because jujitsu is so tactile and not visual as you guys understand, because you guys train multiple martial arts, there are visual arts and there, there are like tactile arts and jujitsu is not visual because the way it looks and the way it feels are so different versus like, you know, if I do teach Taekwondo or Muay Thai, it's like monkey see monkey do. It's like, okay, throw this, then throw this, watch me do it. And then you do the same thing. Jujitsu, like kids are terrible partners. They just noodle on the floor, like <laughs> dead fish, you know, I'm like you're a terrible bad guy. <laughs> um, um, but so I started doing that and I just, I just fell in love with it. Like it was so rewarding. It was so much more rewarding than fighting was for me at the time, which is probably why I moved away from fighting. Cause I think fighting is inherently selfish because you have to be, to be um, versus like when you teach the kids, it's like, so it's so much bigger than you. You know, and then you get to also watch, have the joy of watching these kids grow up and seeing like how much this influences like every aspect of their life. Cause they're not like, cause society hasn't ruined them yet. There's still hope. <laughs> and so I really enjoy, uh, I just love it. I love teaching kids, especially young kids. Like, I mean, I, you know, and, and what's cool is that when I started doing it, you know, it's mostly boys. And now my class is at least 50% girls. So that's so much higher than like an adult jujitsu class. It's not like that. So a kid's jujitsu class is a better reflection of the actual population <laughs> than an adult jujitsu class, which is really cool. What, that makes me laugh when you're saying about the terrible bad guys. <laughs> oh, oh, oh yeah, I have like I have like these like I have like five or six like canned kids jujitsu jokes. I'm like, so as you guys know, I, I trained a lot with David Porter. David Porter actually used to help me teach the kids class back when he first came to our gym when he's a purple belt. And um David Porter always says this thing where he's like a failed stand-up comedian. 
I'm like a failed kid stand-up comedian, which is even worse. <laughs> so I have like the same like five kids jujitsu jokes. Like, okay, guys, good news, you're all terrible bad guys. Bad news, you're all terrible bad guys. <laughs> Works every time. It's, you guys can use that. It's a good one. <laughs> okay. When you guys back to teaching kids, got like five yeah. really good ones. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty hilarious <laughs> for children. For children, I should clarify, <laughs> not for adults. <laughs> how'd you get? How'd you get? How'd you get them to be any sort of bad guy? <laughs> oh, um, like it's like our biggest struggle is like okay, make like you know we try and like show them right, make a frame, be strong there, but stay strong, be strong, be strong, be strong, and then they yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it depends what, what's your age group uh we do we're doing all of them now from like yeah five to all the way up now yeah okay so do you have any separation of the ages at all yeah they so five to five to seven years old and then eight to 11 to 14 depending oh, on that's, how that's, that's good yeah yeah five to seven that's a good group like i like to keep that age around because we do like four to six and then we do like a seven plus and then when they hit about 12 or 13 then we start putting them into the adult class depending on the size of the kid yeah you know we have a there's an 11 year old in my class that's bigger than me and i'm like man i need to like eat more like <laughs> just like um so it, it took me a long time to figure out how to do that i actually have a lot of drills that's what i do a lot of with the younger ages i do a lot of movement drills and mm -hmm. i do a lot of solo drills i know that sounds even funnier but i got really good at solo drills especially because of the quarantine yeah. um you know and uh and so what i because i love solo drills anyway because of all my years of doing muay thai and you know uh taekwondo to shadow boxing like mm -hmm. you shadow box in all these other sports you do carenza and filipino martial arts like you do all this other stuff so doing a lot of movement drills to build cross-core stabilization for kids and to like understand contralateral movement and like how to base they don't know they're learning it but like the more you can kind of build those things like the biggest problem with kids these days is they have no core strength because they sit in chairs as soon as they're old enough to go to school and yeah. it's even worse now because of zoom and as we're on zoom <laughs> oops um and it's even worse now uh with everything going on because everything's digital so if, the sooner i can build a small child's core and understand they understand how to move their body like okay i want you to pick up your opposite hand and your opposite foot so not even getting it to look like jujitsu yet but like teaching <laughs> them like oh i want you to do four point base i want you to pick up your opposite hand and the opposite if i can just get them to do that i'm like yes so um it's not that my standards have gone lower it's just that i try to for the younger ages try to focus on movement drills and stabilization of the body and then big brush strokes, lots of drills, not a lot of technique per se. Um, I know it's technique. My coaches know it's technique, but they don't know it's technique. They just think they're like, ah, I'm the slap in the mat. They don't understand that they're learning. Like they're doing like 50 break falls a night. Like, you know, so, and then eventually I start most of the younger kids with standing self-defense. So that, because I think kids can be good, bad guys standing but lying down, like they don't, again, they don't have the core strength or like the ability to like stay on top and cross body. Cause they're just like, just full off. And so then I start with standing self-defense and then I move into simpler positions like mount and guard because mount and guard are kind of like the cornerstone of jujitsu. And then everything else after that kind of follows after. And I just focus on transitions, but I do, I just do a lot of drills. I do so many drills. I make, I make the adults do them too, because 
they, I think jujitsu people are inherently don't like drilling. So, <laughs> but I mean, but kids are, you're right. They're terrible, bad guys. Yeah. They're just so bad. And usually the kids that come to jujitsu are just nice kids anyway. And so they're not mean. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's, a, there's a general kind of lack of, sort of, I don't know, physical literacy, isn't there? Just, I don't know if it's the same for you guys over in the States, but people just move your left hand. No, your other left hand. And they start moving their foot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not a kid thing. This is some of the adults. <laughs> it's so true. I mean, because like you think about like who, who comes to jiu-jitsu. You know, if we had a bunch of super athletes, like coordination, like if you guys all do other forms of martial arts as well, like I probably did other sports. Most people who come in jiu-jitsu are like general population. You know, they're not, they're not super coordinated or they've never done a sport in their entire life. This might be the first physical thing they've ever done. And I think that's what's beautiful about jujitsu. Unlike Muay Thai, like Muay Thai is, I love Muay Thai Yongro. I love, I was in Thailand earlier this year. I was there for six weeks. I love Muay Thai. It's amazing. But there's a certain level of base level of physicality and conditioning that you need mm. to do Muay Thai. It's the threshold level. Yeah, exactly. There's a, you can't come into it 50 years old, really out of shape, never done it before. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's hard. You can do it. It's just, it's not going to be fun. Jiu-jitsu, no matter how bad you are when you start, no matter how bad you are, you will eventually get there. That's the beauty, I think, of jiu-jitsu, is that even a super uncoordinated person can eventually get good at jiu-jitsu, or at least proficient. But, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Like, there's like... Yeah. So I, so I stopped using right or left to explain techniques because of that exact reason. <laughs> Is that people didn't know like oh which which hand I'm like I would actually like physically just grab someone's hand and be like there <laughs> put it <laughs> there we can't do it anymore <laughs> I know that one. one that one over there move that hand that one that one <laughs> I know I think um so I've been doing I did Zoom private lessons with kids um during the quarantine and I think that helped my teaching so much yeah like i look at this is like the i, I feel like the quarantine or the lockdown is the ultimate allegory for jujitsu it's like the all you know what i mean it's kind of like jujitsu uh my friend and i talk about it jujitsu is essentially like brazilian jiu-jitsu is essentially problem solving right this is the ultimate problem solving it's like how do we we have something it's a problem instead of going through the problem we have to work around it yeah. so how do we work around it and I think it's made my teaching better. It's definitely made me address, think of jujitsu differently. I have way more solo drills than I had before. And so when I got a chance to start teaching on the mat again, I felt like I had all these other things I could offer my students yeah. that I didn't have before versus like the traditional way of teaching jujitsu, like especially the old school way, which is get on the mat and be like, okay guys, so what do you want to learn? <laughs> You're laughing because you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. You go to some jujitsu classes. Um, versus now I have a very prepared class. You know, I have the Pedro, I have the white to blue, you know, fundamentals from Pastor Sauer, but I also have all these solo drills for warmups for students. So you have someone brand new and they don't know that they've already been doing the movement all yeah. during warmup. And then you apply it to the technique of the day. And I wouldn't have done that before the quarantine. I would have been just like, just do the move. Why aren't you doing it right? <laughs> <laughs> you know? what is wrong with you? No, it can't do, you can't teach like that. So I think it's really okay. hard now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
so now I think talking, like being able to do this, it, it, it gave me a lot of time to think about jujitsu and to think about how I approach teaching and how do I use language better to describe things, you know, and, and that's really helped me out a lot. Um, so when I finally got to train again, I feel like I came in with a very fresh take on it, but also it made me appreciate this, this connection I have with this wonderful community so much more. Like, I, I'm like, I'm never taking this for granted again. You know? I, I said think, that in March. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Two weeks off the mat and I was like that. Now it's like eight months later. I'm like, I'm really not going to take this for granted ever again. No, you can't. Like, you can't. Like, I don't know what, but for you guys, but like for me, the reason I train is for up here. Yeah. Like, yes, it's great for my body too. And I, I like to consider myself a pretty fit person, but mentally I had to like reevaluate my life choices. Like I was scared. I was so scared. I would never work again because I didn't have a backup career. I started doing this when I was like 20, yeah. you know, and like my whole twenties, I gave up everything. I, I'm not married. I don't have kids. I don't have another career. This is all I've ever done as far as a career is concerned. I've had done other jobs, but I've never like made it a career. Like this is all I've committed my life to. I had a bunch of seminars lined up in the beginning of the year and they all got canceled, obviously. I even thought about coming to the UK. I was like, oh, I should go to Iceland in the UK. That'd be really cool. <laughs> there's, a, there's a loaded question on YouTube, I'm being told. I can't see the YouTube bit at the moment, but um, one of our lady um, uh, students has asked, have you ever taught a seminar in the UK? So I think she wants <laughs> you to come and teach. <laughs> oh, really? I would love to. Well, when you guys are, allow us back in. Uh, 25's looking quite quite good. <laughs> um, yeah, that was actually the plan originally was that I was going to, so I, I left, I had Master's Hours Blessing last year and I left HQ because I really kind of wanted to, I just got gotten out of like an eight year relationship with my ex. I was, I was with someone for eight years and that they, we broke up and I was like having one of those vision quests, like life, like, what does it all mean? And so I started doing like seminars and stuff. I went, I got to meet Colleen Gracie, Hickson's daughter, visited her in Yakima, Washington state, got to train with Crone, um, went to Minnesota, spent some time there with Greg Nelson, then went to Thailand for six weeks. And I was traveling around doing seminars. I'm like, I should go international and then lockdown. And I was like, (laughs) and so I, uh, but yeah, but if, when you guys do open up, I would love to come to the UK. Good enough to have you. Yeah. 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 I'll teach you guys how kids not to be bad, bad guys. Yeah. That's what, that's what I definitely <laughs> That'll be actually the whole seminar. It's like, this is how you be a good, bad guy. We, we, we need to uh, get the, the bingo sheet sorted so that we can tick off your five best jokes as you tell them. <laughs> be like, exactly. Oh, you'll know. You'll know because they'll laugh. You'll laugh. Do you do a boom, boom, at the end of yeah. everything? Uh, you no, know, I usually did this the Kristen signature throw punch Thursday thing is like, like really like really bad. It's almost like a like a Fozzie Bear Waka Waka thing. Like, ah. um, just in case you guys didn't know it was a joke. Um, uh, it's so cheap. I'm so cheesy. I it bothers me sometimes. But the Sorry. kids love it. 
Now, so we're really excited to get you on, um, our first female guest. And yeah, we are lucky. We are blessed to have some, some you know, female students and they're awesome. They are amazing. Um, I'm, I'm going to put a question in on behalf of them, but what advice would you give to them? Because, you know, I think everybody doubts themselves in jujitsu, but I see it even more sometimes with, with, with the ladies because of that, you know, that physicality that we spoke of earlier. What tips, what advice can you give to them just to stick at it and, and you're living proof that it does work out in the end, right? Yeah, um, it, 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 I see what you're saying. It's real. I think the hardest part about being a female martial artist in general, regardless of the art, whether it's jujitsu, whether it's Muay Thai, whether it's, you know, filming, is when you don't see people like you at the top, it's hard to know that it's possible, <laughs> you know? And I know it was for me. I remember having a really big moment when I was a blue belt and I met a woman, I don't know if you guys are familiar, her name's Valerie Worthington. She's like, um, she's big in the US jujitsu circuit. She was a brown belt at the time. And I remember rolling with her when I was a blue belt and she was so kind. And she was like, she, and I was like, man, she rolls like a man. And I was like, oh, it's the same. Like, and, um, but then when I would get stuck in positions, she's like, okay, what do we drill today? And I was like, and she was like helping me like throughout the role. And that helped me like a lot. Um, so having that moment was really good, but I think the biggest advice I would give women is managing expectations, not being so hard. So I think women especially are so concerned with doing things perfectly. Like, I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to be judged by my fellow male students and ask the dumb questions. The big thing is, is that the moment you kind of don't worry about that and realize that you're kind of all in this together, like everyone is kind of sucks in the beginning, you know, <laughs> like everyone does. Um, I still do. Um, but uh, it's then, then those expectations kind of like move away. Like no one's watching you roll. Like, I think that that happens with a lot of women is that they feel like they have this want, this need to do so well that they never get mad at their male training partners. They get mad at themselves. Mm -hmm. They get so frustrated on themselves and they're so hard on themselves. So I think as like coaches, don't be hard on the women because they're hard enough on themselves. The best thing to do is being empathetic and compassionate to the experience of how hard and frustrating this is for people. Cause it is, it's very frustrating to learn jujitsu. You guys know it's hard. If it was easy, we'd all be black belts. Um, and so my advice is, is that when you kind of manage your expectations and just focus on getting a little bit better each class and focus on small things, small victories versus I just don't get it. Cause there would be days when I would train, I would get so frustrated, so frustrated on the mat. I would go into the bathroom. I would cry because I don't want anyone, I don't want my male training partners to see me cry. That's weakness. Um, so I go in the bathroom, cry, get back on the mat and keep training, you know, because it was, it was a different time where I felt like I couldn't go to anybody to be like, I'm getting so frustrated. Like, I don't understand this. And so I know a lot of women feel that way where they're like, I just don't get it. And it's really frustrating when you're the only woman on the mat, you're getting just beat up by these big, strong guys who are not even as good as you, but you don't know enough jujitsu yet to like nullify that, yeah. you know, especially in the beginning. So my big thing is stick with it, find a couple of really good training partners that you feel safe asking good questions with and drilling things with that you can really focus on. 
And what I tried to focus on, and I had a very influential teach, teacher besides, I had so many great instructors. I can't take credit for any of them. Anything that I do, it's all because of them. Um, one of my favorite instructors in the association is um, Professor Jim Kelly. He's one of my favorites. He's a fantastic instructor. And um, he helped me out a lot by explaining jujitsu in a way where it's not about what moves you know, it's about the way you do them. And when I focused on not having a lot of moves, but just focusing on how can I make the couple moves that I do know really efficient and really effective, that helped me more. And that's the main advice I would give women now is just, just focus on not having a broad range of knowledge, but how are the things that I do know really specifically how to make them work against larger opponents? How do I make them as efficient as possible? And little things, okay, wait, don't focus on passing the guard, focus on killing the hips. That would be like an example. Don't focus on passing the guard, focus on killing the hips. And that's easier to remember. But the big thing is just like, it, it's, 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 it's a tough upward hill for, for a lot of women. But if you find a couple of really good trusted training partners who you feel safe with, and then you can be like, hey man, can we work on this and just do some isolated training just to kind of work on little things, then you'll start to build your confidence in your game. That's what started changing it for me. You know, but versus just trying to win every night or not lose. <laughs> and I don't know if you agree, but like your Valerie Worthington kind of little story that you told a second ago, for the guys listening as well as the, the girls, everything that Kristen just said applies to you too. Same. <laughs> it's the same. <laughs> I, think, um, I think what you kind of touched on there, but you also, we talked, you know, kind of touched on it kind of earlier. It's just, it's just that kind of role model or mentor or, or whatever, whatever you want to kind of call that um, that person or what they represent or what they do for you. Just seeing someone there, and, oh, that's what I can do. You know, how do you behave? How do you get better? You know, it's clearly it's possible because I can see someone in, in that position. You know, well, yeah. I, I think that, that that's key. I mean, if you look at anyone that's tried to master anything, they've done their they've done their kind of uh, apprenticeship period. Yeah. Well, you have to, like, there's a little bit of that, like, you know, if you really want to be good at your craft, like for me, this is like, this is a lifestyle for me. This isn't even just a career. This is like something I identify as, like I identify as a martial artist. This is like, so part of my identity embedded of who I am because I've been doing it so long since I was a kid. Like I've been doing martial arts longer than I have not been. Yeah. You know? And so for me, this is like, I've been doing martial arts since I was nine and I'm 35 now. So like, it's such a big part of my life, but I would not be in the position I am without the people to kind of guide me. And unfortunately, because I haven't had a lot of female women to do that with, but I've had a lot of great male like leaders in my life. You know, Master Sour is a great example of that, of just how you treat people, you know? Yeah. And if you treat people, and you're just treating people well, I think is a better indicator of a great mentor than even the amount of knowledge they have because the culture can go the other way. I've unfortunately seen a lot of dark sides of martial arts where you get a little bit of cult-like mentality and people abusing their positions of power in martial arts, regardless of the system, whether it's jujitsu or Muay Thai or whatever. I've seen the opposite too. Yeah. So I think, you know, if you are a mentor and now that I, I'm kind of in more of a mentorship role myself, it's really important that I take that role very seriously. Yeah, there's some responsibility there for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I, I hope, you know... I, what was it? Was it? Oh, I can't it was that said it, but it was that each one teach one idea. You know, everyone kind of, everyone part, you know, you pay it forward, but backwards. You know, you pay it down, you pay it forward to the generation below you or, or however you want to kind of look at it. 
oh yeah, for sure. I mean, that's how I feel about it with, by teaching the kids. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't be in the position I am without amazing mentors I've had, but the best thing I can do, I can never pay them back for what they've done. There's no way, because they've done so much. Like I wouldn't, I would not be talking to you guys. Like I tell people all the time, I'm like, I got to teach at Master Sours HQ for 10 years. That's crazy. <laughs> That's nuts. Um, I would not be in that position without the kindness of Master Sour to see potential in me to do that, you know, to, to, to cultivate that in the kids program. Like the fact that he let me do it and trusted me to teach his kids program. I'm still to this day, incredibly humbled by that because like, that's a big responsibility because I'm representing him in my, in my eyes. You know, like I'm representing Master Sour and I'm like, I better not mess this up. <laughs> um, so all I can do is just be like, okay, well then if I'm going to do that, if I'm going to have that awesome responsibility, I better take it seriously and make sure I give these kids Pedro Sour Jiu-Jitsu to the yep. best of my ability and make them the type of person that he would be proud of as a person, as a representative or a citizen of the world. Exactly. Yeah. I'm trying. <laughs> when you were saying about not having that um i was just thinking about how master sour talks about jiu-jitsu and tries to instill kind of what you were saying to everyone about we want to be on the mat when we're 90 we want to still be trained you don't want to be that guy who quits because you get to a higher grade and you realize it was all strength and then that younger guy comes in he's fitter than you and you know smashes you when you're you know a brown belt or whatever and then you know, you realize you can't do jujitsu anymore. And maybe that's what encourages the women in his school and what we've tried to kind of emulate so that everyone feels like they shouldn't be smashing everyone, which yeah. then kind of then breeds that culture of everyone can train male, female, small, big, kid, adult, 60 year old, whatever. And like Robin and I at the very beginning, we kind of always felt like with the way that Master Sauer kind of has the culture of the schools we always felt like if we could just get one woman to become involved in the school then we would get more because like you say you've got that role model to look to when you walk into class and go oh look there is there is another woman training here and and she's cool and it's cool so it must you know I've got that role model now that I can look to and that's kind of what we found was that once we got you know, a bit of a critical mass, then it allows that to build. But without any women training, it's very hard to get women to train with you. It's that digital state of nothing to something. It's quite difficult to bridge. Yeah. yeah. And I just like the, I like the dynamic of, of having both, both, you know, like I say, kids program. So you've got everyone involved in the school. Mm. Otherwise it does become too much of a macho environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. it just becomes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's kind of like the big, have you guys ever seen the movie The Art of Self-Defense? <laughs> I haven't watched it yet. Bill recommended it last week in our, in our uh, 10 list of films to watch. Uh, list of well, 10 films to watch. I was about to say, what are you doing with your life? Put it on right now. Um, uh, so there's this thing that I, but I mean, there's, okay, so I jokingly say that that movie is like, the things I've actually seen, a lot of that cultural stuff in, in, in martial arts, but there's this wonderful thing. So I love the female character, obviously, in the movie. I won't spoil anything for you, but there's a big thing that, that martial arts has this kind of very intense culture to it, that kind of bro-y kind of machismo, especially Brazilian culture specifically, can be very machismo and all that other stuff. But also, but 
inherently in the art of jujitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu is an art. There's nothing gender specific about it. It's just leverage. It's just problem solving and leverage. It's more about what's in here, not what's in here. You're like your muscles. So I think if we approach it as a full person and bring our intensity to it, as well as our empathy and our you know, compassion um, for the human experience with it as well, then we can get all types of people involved. But the big thing is, is that if you have this very almost like, like you said, that really intense kind of survival of the fittest kind of, you know, on the mat, which it was like, even when I started, you know, if you're not tough, you ain't going to make it. Like, it's like, check your femininity at the door. You better be one of the bros or else you're not going to survive. I mean, it's tough. Like I've been slammed. I, I got slammed once because a guy said I could not tap to a woman. I caught him in a triangle. He picked me up and slammed me because I, he didn't want to tap to a woman. Now I'm stubborn. So that's why I kept coming back, but not all women are going to put up with that. And there's nothing wrong with that because that's not the way you should treat people, you know? And that's the big thing is like, that's what I love about master sour because he's so inviting to everyone, regardless of backgrounds, you know, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of, you know, you know, it doesn't matter. He's always treated everyone the same. And I think that that's the biggest thing is that we're all people trying to share this space on this planet. Yeah. And I think jujitsu teaches us that we're all the same in a way. Just you know? we can pick up less space as well, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we can finally lay on top of each other again. Yeah. Allow to. It's going to be great. Like, hey, oh, I feel so bad for you guys. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. don't, don't go there we start crying literally <laughs> set me off these days yeah you said you said that you had to go to the the bathroom in the religious jiu-jitsu class we'll just go we'll just cry <laughs> we, we, we won't go anywhere we'll just cry on the spot <laughs> oh man i'm gonna kiss those mats i'm glad you said first rob make sure you mop them first Kristen, <laughs> Kristen, you, when you, you were talking earlier you said about you know uh, you know, getting a couple of moves really good um, instead of trying to know all the moves. Um, and you, you mentioned, you started to talk about, you know, instead of thinking about passing the bar, just kill the hips. So it started to make me think about one of the themes that does come through whenever we talk to a black belt, which is what is your favorite concept? You know, uh, how do you make it easier for everybody? Um, I, I, okay, so I believe, I guess my favorite concept in, in, in jujitsu specifically or in all of fighting? Uh, don't oh, don't first, but all of fighting is different. <laughs> okay, um, well, they're about the same. The biggest, the most important concept, I think, uh, if we're talking about self-defense, and this applies to lots of different positions, is um, all the way in or all the way out. That's the two safest places to be in fighting. Yep. All the way in or all the way out. So whether it's the clinch, all the way, you want to be like two arms distance, you know, just outside of range, or clinching, like all the way in. But the same thing is true with passing the guard. I want to either have all the way out in open guard, not no one's connected to me, or I'm going to be so deep into the guard where I'm just completely smashing the hips. Mm. Okay, same thing when I'm holding the mount position. I want to be all the way up in high mount or on my hips so far back that I'm killing their femurs that they can't elbow escape. Yeah. Same mm -hmm. thing in like closed guard. If you have posture, if I have perfect posture, I'm all the way out. Or they break down my posture, I'm all the way in. I'm smashing their hips, bringing my hips, like posture all the way in. Mm. So that applies into a lot of different like things and this also applies in like Muay Thai like being all the way out or all the way in because that as you guys know from other arts that middle range is that where all the, the danger is dangerous <laughs> yeah but it's also dangerous in jiu-jitsu yeah 
Now, when you're in that middle range and you're in someone's guard, that's where you're getting tapped. That's true. Like, you know, and so that's like my favorite concept because that's like really, really simple, but it applies in so many other places, not just jujitsu and not just Muay Thai. It's just in all these different positions. And it's a very simple concept, but it's actually hard to execute. Um, and then I have a joke one. So my buddy JD, I, I, I got to give you guys some jokes to take with you. So the joke is... Uh, it's one of the five, though. This, this <laughs> is it one of the five? I think it is, actually. I don't know. So uh, we always... So I think maybe Porter tells it, too, because we tell a lot of the same ones. Because Porter and I spent a lot of time together. It's like, if you can't take the moral high ground, take the back. Just, okay. just for you guys. <laughs> just... just <laughs> <laughs> we, need to, we need to get a picture of us all doing this for the uh for the for the youtube <laughs> the youtube thumbnail yeah scan through and find it later <laughs> um mike hates it my core hand exactly my core hand hates it because every time you take my picture at a seminar be like chris look at the camera i'll be like and he's like, Please stop. I was like, I'm sorry, Mike. I can't make a serious face. I teach kids for a living. <laughs> I can't help it. Um, <laughs> but it, but the biggest concept, like I said, is all the way out or all the way. And then that kind of helps simplify jujitsu. When I started to find the concepts that applied in Filipino martial arts and Muay Thai and other things I had trained, and how do I apply those concepts to jujitsu, it started to make more sense to me because I came from a striking background first, not a grappling background. Like I'm not a wrestler. I don't do judo. So I was like, uh, <laughs> what's this? So when I finally started to say, okay, what universal truths apply from other arts that I can apply to jujitsu? And that's kind of like where my JKD brain goes. I also have a philosophy degree when I was like, in, when I was in college, <laughs> I wanted to clearly be unemployed. So uh, <laughs> I, got a, I got a philosophy degree. And so that's where my philosophy brain goes. It's like, what are the concepts that kind of apply universally? Like, what is truth? Not truth just, oh, here's some moves. You know, yeah. that's really cool. Um, I'm just looking at other questions coming in. People are messaging me. Um, oh, good. Any advice for guys on training with the girls? Ooh, that's a good one. That's one of my favorite ones. So, train with women based on their size, not on their gender. That's my best piece of advice. That is my best piece of advice. Um, I'm I'm a, I'm like five eight one sixty. I'm not petite. So my guy, my, the guys that train with me, they put weight on me because you know why? One, I'm a black belt. And two, I'm five, eight and one sixty. Now, if you're rolling with a woman who's a hundred pounds, you should probably not put the same amount of weight on her. You know why? Cause she's a hundred pounds, not because she's a woman. And yeah. that is the biggest difference. The yeah. second thing is, um, the two biggest complaints I get from women when they talk about men, and I'll, I'll tell you what all the women vent to me about, okay? I'll give you guys the, the 411. They either vent about a guy going way too hard, and it's usually because it's a guy who doesn't want to lose. And so yeah. he's compensating for lack of knowledge with strength or like heaviness. He's like, okay, I'm just gonna lay on top of you. You can stop moving. Or two, which women hate more, which most of you guys don't realize this, is we hate it when guys kind of pander to you. And they're like, oh, I'll let you do whatever, you know, it's like, like, oh, you did such a great job. And she's like, I didn't even do anything. Like, that's even worse. <laughs> it's you're just being a bad, bad guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but that's actually women hate that women who are really serious about training. Like they really hate it when guys go almost like go way too easy on them. The biggest thing is just roll with them, roll against the jujitsu. Don't roll against the person. 
And that's what I do now too, because that also helps me when I go against like competitive people or people who are really good is roll against the jujitsu. Don't roll against the person. Don't be like, Oh my God. Like I remember being like, that's Michelle Nicolini. She's a world champion. And then freak yourself out. I'm like, wait, but the jujitsu hasn't changed. You know, you know, before haven't we Pete when we roll with different people and it's like don't not, not almost not getting starstruck and just doing what just doing your your thing yeah and the same thing is true with like with when you roll with women now I know a lot of guys like they just like well I don't want to hurt anybody I'm like it's a contact sport there's going to be some contact mm. so like I had brothers and we always got in like fights when we were kids so like I I guess I approach it a little differently <laughs> But the biggest thing that I think most women say is roll with me at my size, not with me at like my gender. So if mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, if the woman is like 135 pounds, like and not super big, well, how would you roll with a 135 pound teenager? Yeah. You know, I know guys who still will not roll with a woman the same as they would roll with a men. Cause they're like, well, you know, I just, because they were more concerned. I literally had a guy tell me, I'm worried what other men will think if they think that I'm beating up women. And I was like, really did you ever think that maybe it's about what the woman thinks not the way you are perceived by other men that was the weirdest thing i'd ever been told that is the weirdest thing i'd ever been told i was like well maybe people can see that it's a sport and we're all in geese here and that this is just training you know it comes back to that thing about you know being able to learn and and if you know we talk about like like you just said they're trained trained to the the body styles rather than the gender but it's also about that training to that this the skill set because if you are a, a black belt a brown belt a purple belt and you're just smashing the white belt that comes through the door you know even yeah. if they're bigger than you but you're not giving them an opportunity to practice what they've learned in class or move or or get any any you know sort of success no one's learning you know Who wins out of that no one just your ego yeah exactly yeah. it's that thing uh, Marcel always says about just just that shade above where that person is just to bring them up if you're up here no they, they're getting a beating you're polishing your ego and no one gets anything out of it exactly I mean um uh like I remember one person said to me I believe it was Rylan Lazarus and he said to me like he's like okay well Kristen what do you do now I'm like well now I try to tap people because I'm a black belt and I finally can I was like as a woman I was like yes finally I waited like 11 years for this and he's like okay what are you learning i was like what nothing and he's like exactly he's like well do you actually have good defense or do you just have really good offense and i was like i don't know (laughs) (laughs) exactly i like how you read my face perfectly you're like yep and so it made me try to change the way i rolled once i got my black belt like you said, just being like, okay, I got to let the lower ranking work. Because before, you know, as a woman, I always felt like I had to train harder and go harder to prove that I deserve to be there. But now I don't feel like I need to anymore. I know what I've accomplished. I know where I am. I don't need to prove that my jujitsu works. I know what I'm talking about. I had the best jujitsu, one of the best in the jujitsu instructors in the entire world. Like Master Sauer is one of them. Like I, he knows better than me. So <laughs> I just, so now I just like to roll with people to make them better. Like, I don't need to prove anything anymore. Like, it, this is fun for me. Like, this is my life. This is like, I'm not, when you know. Change, when did it change that for you though, Kristen? You know, what point did it, did you let go of that and just say it is about, you know, life and, and the journey rather than win? Um, 
it was a lot of things. I think a lot of it was like once I got my black belt and then realizing when Master put it around Master Sour put it around my waist, he's like, Oh, now you can start learning jujitsu. And I was like, What? I think it was that. Um, but also there's a little bit of growing into the belt that I had to do at every single rank that I was at because being, cause there wasn't a lot of women who came before me who had those ranks. I kind of was like, do I even deserve this? Like, because you know, like that was really hard for me. Cause I had a very, I'm, I'm so to, I actually have debilitating social anxiety. If you guys can believe that. I have a really hard time speaking in front of people and, and talking to people. So jujitsu is really helping with that. And so for me, growing into the belt and being so insecure about my jujitsu and like being around people and all this other stuff, once I got past all of that and got past my social anxiety and got past my anxiety in general, everything else just seemed easy because now I'm like, oh, this is just jujitsu, mm. you know? So like, so I think for me, growing into the black belt and being a black belt leader and role model when people started to treat me differently just because of the rank that was around my waist. I was like, oh wait, I'm a black belt now. Like I should start acting like one. Great great responsibility. Exactly. There was really a lot of that because when I was a purple belt, I was a shark, man. I was out for blood. Like I was ready to like prove that I needed to be there and like I'm going to tap everybody. I want all the guys on the mat to know that I mean business. I was a jerk. I think I, cause I was still fighting then. So I was still fighting MMA. And so like, I still had this very competitive need to prove myself, need to win. And then when I stopped competing and started teaching more, I was like, it doesn't matter because a competition is a, is a moment. It's a small moment in a day in your life. And it's not representative of your, in your legacy and everything else that you bring to the table. You know, and so that's something that I, when I realized that, but I think black belt really was the moment when master Sarah literally said to me while he's tying around my waist, it's like, now you can start learning jujitsu. It's like, okay, now I get it. That's see what's funny about that is that's very different to the story of what, of what master Sarah said to Bill when he was tying his blue belt with it. (laughs) Go there again. Yes. You're going to get me one of those eating disorders if you carry on. I, I had the spare blue belt, the one that was, you know, that they brought over from the UK because I got my, my blue belt in Iceland and, uh, and and it was the spare blue belt. It, it, they didn't buy it for my size. They didn't get the belt for my size, Christine. Um, so he tied it on and it just about managed to tie. And he was like, you, need, you, yeah, you either need a new belt or you need to lose a few pounds. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my belt was a gift, so I'm really happy that didn't happen to me, or else I would have like freaked out. I'd be like, "Oh, don't worry, um, I've continued to eat, and I've bought many new belts since then." So yes, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> he did, he have advice it. that way. Yeah, <laughs> I just got a new belt. It was. I, I heard belt. what I wanted to hear. You know, get a new belt. <laughs> Perfect. Done. Have a <laughs> Well, if I know I could just do that, man, I, I've been doing this all wrong the whole time. Just get a bigger gi and a new belt. I was like, why didn't I think of that? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, my so, God. Questions. Are there any more questions on the live, Pete? Uh, hang on, I'll just quickly check on the YouTube. There was one other one. Um, of all the martial arts that you train, um, is there one stand-up martial art that best complements jiu-jitsu, in your opinion? Good question. Oh, in my opinion, it's Muay Thai. 
I love Muay Thai. Muay Thai is my jam. Uh, the reason why I think Muay Thai complements jujitsu and like other forms of striking is because there is a clinch. Yeah. And, in, and in traditional Thai boxing specifically, that's where they spend most of their time. Like if you go to a traditional Thai school, especially in Thailand, you will spend a half an hour to an hour a session in just the clinch. And the best way to describe what Thai boxing is, like or the clinch and how it feels is it's like Greco-Roman wrestling on one leg and they're hitting you. That's awesome. Like, it's so cool. Um, so I think in jujitsu, it sees, it shows you where like the strikes are. So when I take a, a jujitsu player and I teach them the tie clinch first and then move to the outside, they're like, oh, this is really cool. And this is really technical. And I'm like, yeah, it is really technical. You know, it's not just punching and hitting people versus when you do things like kickboxing or savat or other forms of striking, they see everything on the outside and jujitsu guys are just like, well, I just take it down. I'm like, would you? But you see a tie boxer and they're throwing knees in the clinch and elbows and they're hitting people while people are trying to clinch them. They're like, oh, I wouldn't take that person down. I'm like, no, you would get kneed in the face. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or like just a, a few good leg kicks and maybe you don't want to get in. You're like, oh no, <laughs> my knees. Like, so I think Thai is amazing for like, and also because like, if you think of like traditional Thai, like uh, Cabri, Cabri Cabrong or Moi Baran, like the traditional forms of Thai boxing, um, those are self-defense arts. Cabri Cabrong being weapons-based and Moi Baran with a lot of like throws and like, you know, neck breaks essentially. Very close, like a lot of similar stuff to like Lot and stuff. Like all the yeah. South Asian arts are kind of like, you know, don't tell them that. But um, <laughs> I just don't, yeah. I don't want to start. start you're going to start a Twitter war. Yeah. yeah, I know. I'm like, somehow I started a war over Zoom. Um, but uh, uh, that'd not, be not, not a question, this one, Kristen, but um, you've got a fan, I think. Uh, so a husband of one of our students is, uh, is watching the, the show tonight. And, uh, and he said it's the first Lockdown Chronicles he's ever watched. He doesn't do jujitsu, but you are an inspiration. Oh, that's so sweet. Aww. So, uh, so, yeah, um, I'm out of questions on my little feed. Oh, what qualities make a good black belt? What qualities make a good black belt? Um, fantastic hair. No, I'm just kidding. Um, You've got a sixth joke, Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> it only works when I'm around. This joke number six. That's your... Ah! <laughs> um... Waka waka. Um, it's just, I'm sorry. Now I know one. Now I know one the... doesn't like it. Um, He's always the bar with coke, is he? Sorry. I mean, part of me wanted to say that only because, like, I, I, I'm, I'm friends with my core hand, so it's extra funny to me. Yeah, okay. uh, I think the things that make a good black belt is, um, in, in my opinion, is really when you realize when you're a black belt that's not just about you anymore you know it's about how you represent like your instructors pay honor to your instructors and leave the art better than you found it that's how I feel about it it's like I want to constantly pay honor to the people who taught me and try to leave the art for whether regardless of what that is better than I found it how do I can constantly progress the art, but also progress, like, how do we make this more accessible to people? How do we can reach more people and make more people feel 
good about themselves through this venue that that's the big thing that I really think is the most important thing is being a black belt the knowledge is one thing you know being a monster on the mat is another um but that is the biggest thing it's like how do you leave a legacy you know that is that doesn't die with you you know because like this is it's a huge honor I think to because what a belt what black belt is is a representation of your rank based on someone else, someone else that you respect's vision of you. Because I respect Master Sauer so much, even if I don't think I'm a black belt, he thinks I am. And I respect his opinion way more than mine. So I have to trust my instructor. And so that that's the big thing that I try to think about. I, uh, I think it was a fantastic answer, but I'm just trying to work out how I grow my hair. <laughs> <laughs> you need a syrup. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. How do you? Um, um, yeah, yeah. This is this is a purely for my own personal uh, knowledge. How do you balance when you're teaching and having to have that really massive breadth of knowledge to take to bring people forward and bring people on, compared to then your own game where you're kind of narrow. You know, you kind of thinking about very specific concepts and and be better at less moves like we were saying earlier on how do you kind of balance that out in your in your own brain um so for me because i train multi i train in multiple arts i i like jokingly like to say that i multi like i i moderately suck at everything so for me i try to seek out specialists like specialist training partners training partners that i know have something that i don't have and then i try to do very positional oriented training where I only roll or train for growth of my game. I don't always roll for like, um, for to win. So I have, um, when I would like roll with my core hand, like we would roll and he was always trying to get me to work on very specific things. And that would always help me like kind of progress my game. Uh, also, I never have to worry about proving myself to Mike because he's gonna kick my butt every time. Um, but, um, but also just yeah. in general, yeah. <laughs> I heard that my core hand's pretty good. <laughs> um, but uh, um, but uh, the other thing is, is that like right now, I, I just moved to Gracie Charlottesville like you know, three months ago and I'm finally moving into an apartment. I have a couple guys that I train with there that are black belts, people I trust. And we did a very exploratory roles where we work through positions and then we'll stop and be like, hey man, what was that? Stop, stop right there. What was that? And then we just kind of work through it or we do positional training, things like that. So I try to make sure that all my roles now, unless I'm getting ready for competition, are very productive because I, I do have to teach so much that if I do train, I really want to be a student. Like I don't want to have to turn on my teacher brain when I'm training, I just want to be a student. So if someone else tells me something to do, I'm like, cool, let's, let's do it. Even if I don't agree with it, I'll just be a student and be like, yes, that's exactly what I should do. <laughs> I have guys that I do a pad work with. Like I have a guy I do pad work with now in Muay Thai, his name is Trevor, and he's a professional fighter in glory. And I do kickboxing with him. And I, I just came from like Thailand. And one of my training partners from before that was from Laos. And so he had a very traditional Thai background. So I go from traditional Thai to like kickboxing, very different, a lot more high volume, a lot more outside. There's no elbows in the clinch. It's not obviously the dumps are not going to happen the same way. But I just like to be a student. And that way I make, I'm constantly trying to add learning to my game. So even if I don't train a ton, I like to make the training sessions that I do have very productive. Mm -hmm. So that way I'm constantly um, learning and constantly being a student. 
Um, because I really don't like to think that I know everything. Um, especially I'm like, I'm 35. I feel like I have so much more time to progress in my game and to grow into my belts and to really kind of explore in my martial arts career, you know? So I think not always just going in to like kill yourself or throw up or (laughs) roll hard, you know, is good. And going in with like that learning mindset, like the white belt mind, every single time you go to the mat really makes your, your own training very productive and then I cheat a lot. If I'm working on something specific, I sometimes will teach it so I can remember it for myself. I know that's cheating, but I do that a lot of times. If I'm working through a position, like, and I've kind of started to get a series out of it, then I'll start teaching it to kind of work through it in my brain. So that way I can see if I really truly understand it. And that helps me kind of double like, reinforce what I'm working on for myself. Yeah. I like that. It's just, yeah, it's always trying to get that balance, isn't it? When you're trying to remember everything you've got to teach for everyone else and then all the stuff that I like falls out of my ear the other side because I'm stuffing in things for other people. Yeah. I mean, and that that is hard. It's challenging when this is what you do and like you're you're a teacher, but you're also trying to get better yourself. It's it's challenging. Like I I'm just starting to learn that balance now. So I say no a lot of times. Like I used to do a lot more private lessons. Um, So what I started doing is I started raising my rates for private lessons to kind of, so I wasn't like just constantly giving my energy away to other people. Cause I'm like, you know what? I really got to take care of myself too and make sure I'm progressing and I am also getting better. So now I try to make sure I get like, I still, so I'm on the mat about five to six days a week. um, But I roll anywhere from three to four every, you know, and then I do like pad work, usually at least two to three times a week in pads. And then I do Kali as well. So I have a couple people that I train with that are specifically, that's all they do. Like guys that just do jujitsu guys that just do like striking and then guys that just do Kali. And I try to work with those individual people because they're specialists and that helps me get my like good reps in. And then I can kind of go back to the drawing board and be like, okay, how do I put it together? Uh, and that's more up here, my own work. And that's when I start teaching it. Once I feel like I've, I have a good grasp on it, then I'll slowly kind of trickle in those ideas into teaching so I can kind of reinforce them for myself, but disguise it as for my students. Like, this is what you guys need to work on. <laughs> so I, I, I do kind of, the best to do it is kids class, obviously, because <laughs> they don't even know what they're getting. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. I can't wait for you to come to the UK now. Yay! Hopefully, I lived up to the hype online. I feel again because this is the first time I've gotten to to speak to you guys. I mean, I've been following your guys' stuff for a while now, and I thought it was awesome that you guys started doing this podcast during the lockdown. Like, I thought it was like really awesome because I think everybody in the jujitsu community and martial arts community in general was really discouraged because, like, this has been hard on everyone. You know, it's very disheartening for people who like, this is like, this is like part of their life, not just their livelihood, but like up here, it's like, this is, this is my sanity. Yeah. Like, I, I think you guys are amazing. Like for being eight months, like, and this is, you guys are incredible. You're, You're trying to make us cry now, aren't you? You've made us cry. <laughs> You're trying to make us cry. Stop it. Yeah. Well, I better take it. I better tell another bad joke then. Like, you just gotta break the air a little bit. Like, I feel bad. But I mean, but seriously, I think you guys are amazing because like this takes so much more perseverance than like being in bottom side control. 
Some people might call it resilience. Other people just call it pure damn stubbornness. <laughs> Well, it's because you guys do jujitsu. That's why you guys are fine. You're like, yeah, it's not so bad. Yeah, it works. Yeah, we'll get yeah. there. And just for ourselves, it's been amazing just to be able to connect with so many people that we don't really get to talk to properly, uh, that we kind of see in passing, or obviously you guys, a lot of the association Black Belts being over in the States and, you know, us being able to catch up with people and make connections with people that we wouldn't have other otherwise got a chance to speak to or all of that stuff it's so cool for us and like you say just being able to think about jiu-jitsu differently just by having the conversations i wonder if jiu-jitsu thinks about me too yeah exactly yeah <laughs> <laughs> just yeah just to I be mean, we get, well we get so many other benefits from it as well because you know when you do come to the uk and you do a seminar it, we just tell people look at the video that's what that's what this is going to be all about and uh, and and your it's your itself <laughs> Yeah, I know. When I come to the UK, they're really like, okay, we came for the jokes. Yeah. So, uh, well, I'm going to turn up with the, with the ponytail. So, uh, yeah, don't <laughs> worry about that. It's amazing. <laughs> ponytail and a really tiny belt. <laughs> <laughs> that's just those two things. I'd be like, oh, that's exactly what I was expecting. Like, yeah. it's, oh my God. Well, I mean, it's, it, thank you. I really appreciate that because this is that this has been a huge opportunity for me too because I'd started doing way more YouTube videos and YouTube live classes when I was quarantined. And I was shocked by like when I saw like some of my videos, I'm like, is Rylan Lazarus watching my video? Why? <laughs> doesn't he already know jujitsu? <laughs> like, like he doesn't need my jujitsu. Like, what are you doing? Like it, it's just it's been a great opportunity. I'm trying to I, I tried to take this as an opportunity to really connect with my community. And think okay what do we really need we need connection because we're so starved for it right now because yeah. this is not just i'm used like, to hugging these two multiple times a week <laughs> i know <laughs> i know i haven't hugged my own mother since march march because, oh, i haven't done that either that's fine yeah, oh yeah it's, i don't care about that like <laughs> i care about someone trying to hug me and choke me and like murder yeah, me exactly. like oh my god and fold me inside of my gi mm -hmm. um well, that's that's when I missed the most. It's it's yeah. crazy to me that so many schools have gone under. So many some people have gotten arrested here in the states too, and it's just it's crazy. It's been, arrested it's, for training. Yeah, wow. because you're not supposed to. I think like they're going to. I think in Virginia they're about to release it as like it's going to be a class one misdemeanor. Okay. If we get like caught training or something like it's something to do with the contact, especially like. So it just depends on like what country you're in. I don't know how it is in Australia or in um, different, different in different states, but yeah. So. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like I've heard because I'm, I have some instructors that I know in Australia, people I know in other countries, and it's, it just varies so much state to state, country to country, and yeah. I'm not saying like anything. It's just I don't know. We need our own fight island, Pedro Salva Island, and we can all just move there and. Uh... <laughs> Make our own rules. We, yes, we can do exactly. it. Yes. Crowdfunding, we can make it happen. Yes. I'm up for that right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to teach you guys all how to be good bad guys. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that, that, that will be the seminar. Just jokes and how to be a bad guy. That's it. Nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> um, we need well, you and Dave so you can do the double act. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll do the double act. Exactly, right? It's like instead of dueling banjos, it's like dueling seminars. <laughs> you know, we do, we, yeah, we, uh, that's what we always joke. Like, we, we did teach each other with each other for a long time. I always told them that I'm like, man, we got to do a seminar together. 
it would be hilarious what I told him. <laughs> um but I wanted to say thank you guys so much for having me on like I really appreciate it. I actually have to get going soon because I know that's cool perfect oh, yeah thank you guys I, so much yeah thanks for coming on and that was that was a good one I really enjoyed that that was fun so we will uh yeah hopefully it's next time it's concentration on again sorry well does Kristen want to advertise her wares before yeah. she goes yeah talk about your YouTube channel and everything like that okay so uh my name is Kristen DeRecker you can follow me on YouTube. It's the Kristen DeRecker channel. I have YouTube live classes there as well as my old school throat punch Thursdays. You can also follow me on Instagram at DeBreckerland. And I'm also on Facebook as well. And then if you're ever in the Virginia area, I am one of the co-owners of Gracie Charlottesville in Charlottesville, Virginia. I am available for seminars, Zoom lessons, and private lessons. You can contact me directly through my website, kristendebrecker.com. There you go. Wow, okay, that was the most polished. I've done it a few times. I've done it a few <laughs> times. I've gotten some reps. It's yeah. all about the reps, man. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Can't get it wrong. Yeah. That was almost like one of those pre recordings when you listen to the proper podcasts. You know, that, that was, that, I'm, I'm amazed. Just a word from our sponsors. I yeah. know. <laughs> well, then you just bring me on to do that for you guys. Yeah. I'll just, just do like <laughs> the sponsor work and then that's it. I, I'm just getting ready to watch Peace. Pete's concentration face again now while he's hey, stopped the, the, the life. I'm all, I'm all set up. I'm all set up. So thank you very much. Awesome. I'm going to cut it off there and we'll catch you guys on the next one.